Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host Stephen Platt, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we're watching Oliver! Which I presume you have to say like that because of the exclamation mark in the title. That's right, Oliver is turning 50 years old in just a couple of weeks. So we are going to watch the 1968 musical movie classic with, as always, someone who has seen the film and somebody who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film it's Jason Dolly, everybody. Hello. Jason, you have not seen Oliver. That, I have not seen Oliver. That slightly surprises me. Yeah, no. Um, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of musicals overall. I have I will admit in a in a cheating kind of way, I have seen the stage version mm-hmm. of which it's based or vice versa. I don't know which one came first, the stage. Uh, stage show came first. Stage show came first? Mm-hmm. Thank you, honey. Um, yeah, no, so I have seen the stage show. I've, in fact, seen my wife in the stage show. Yay! Um, but I can't remember too much about it. It was about 10 years ago, I'd say, close mm-hmm. to. Have you read the book that it's based on? It's I twist? do know the story, yes. Mm. I don't think I've read the book completely. If I'm honest, I probably know... The main points that are more highlighted in this than I do there, but like a lot of classical things, I'm kind of sitting there just going, "All right, I know this, this, this happens, and then something happens, and it all gets resolved." But I can't remember what the something was. You can't remember what the twist is. No, I can't remember what <laughs> Oliver's twist. Well, maybe there's no twist in Oliver mm. because it's just Oliver. Yeah. Well, I mean, they yeah, got I mean, rid of the twist they got in rid the of name it. and yeah. the actual show. He's just hungry. That's, yeah. That's <laughs> he just keeps wanting more. All right. Well, joining us as our guest who has uh, seen Oliver, been in a production of Oliver, it is uh, Dr. Carmen Dolly. Hello, Stephen. <laughs> Thank you for having us on again. No worries. Mm. Um, so, Oliver. So, no, you have to pronounce it with more energy than that. Sorry, sorry. I'm already regretting this decision. <laughs> <laughs> so, Oliver! It's uh, going to be a long podcast, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you um, as, as Jason just said, were in a production of, of, um, of the mm. aforementioned play. I, I was. Um, so, I was uh, Charlotte, who mm-hmm. is has about five lines in the beginning of the play. Um, but yeah, it was a good production, made a lot of really good friends during it. You were also Oliver's mum. Oh yeah, I was. Yeah. Um, mm. forgot about that. Yeah. Um, came on <laughs> with a pillow stuffed under my dress, no <laughs> lines, just came on, walked off. You just know. came in going, Ooh, pregnancy. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's rough. You yeah. know? Yeah. I hope I survive. <laughs> <laughs> really don't want to die all of us. Oh. Oh, yeah. Mm, Yes. Well, look, everyone should know going into this that Oliver is about um, an orphan boy. So I think it's Mm. fair to assume that that the parents are out of the picture very much. Pretty much. Mm. Um, Is the is the film, I guess, your your preferred adaptation of of Oliver Twist? 
So I like it. I think it's much better than the stage show, hmm. um, which we'll probably discuss more after we watch the film. But I, I feel like it makes better use of the, of the songs. Um, yeah, it's a better adaptation, I think, than the actual stage show. But not probably my favourite adaptation of the book. I okay. think it's, for some reason, you know, the, the play and the, mu- the movie of all of us tend to be almost pantomime. You know, like the people associate it with, you know, very young kids and, oh, you know, it's a family show and, you know, we're going to go have fun. And the themes in it are really dark. And, you know, the book was never meant for kids. It's it's meant mm. for adults. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's the most faithful adaptation or the, the most appropriate one. Mm. Um, but having said that, I don't really know which adaptation would be my favorite then. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't have a favourite. No, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fair. Although I mean, there's been a lot of versions. There have been a lot yeah. of versions, yeah. But, well, yeah, it's, it's the same with, um, well, with a lot of Dickens' work is that, mm. you know, Dickens is found to be very popular. Um, mm. And, you know, I personally think Dickens is, is a, or was, I've just remembered he's, he's been dead for a while. <laughs> um, was 140 a, years yeah, or yeah, so? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but he was an absolutely fantastic um, author. And yeah. um, I'm... Curious because I've I have seen this film I think um, I've definitely <laughs> it, it's one of those films where I I think I watched it as a child it's a bit mm. like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang yeah. I am very sure I've watched it but my memories of it are from so far so long ago yeah that I'm not entirely I don't remember the experience yeah. I just remember that you know at some point they're gonna sing about picking pockets and like it's it's all i'll, I'll probably one of those where half an hour in i'll go oh that's where this is from it was yeah. 1997 when i watched this <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> yeah um so with that in mind shall we watch oliver we shall watch oliver oliver okay um for those of you listening at home uh pop in your dvds and prepare to ask for more you want more i feel this is gonna be a very shouty episode yeah. uh, as we prepare to watch Oliver! Hello everybody, Stephen Platt here, just letting you know about another production that is coming up from the folks at Thought Jar Productions. It's a science fiction radio play series called Atlantis. It's currently being staged in Perth, Western Australia, and if you happen to live in the area, or are very keen and want to fly in, you can come and see live science fiction radio play theatre happening before your very eyes. If you are unable to make it to Perth any time between now and October the 4th when the final show is staged, you can listen in online for absolutely free. Just head to AtlantisRadioPlay.com, click Listen Online, and you can hear the episodes as they are coming out. There's also an attached survey, which is part of some PhD research of mine into science fiction theatre, which you can choose whether or not you would like to fill out. For more information, please visit our website, AtlantisRadioPlay.com, or like our Facebook page, just search for Thought Jar Productions. Keep listening to the end of this episode and you'll hear a little snippet from episode one of Atlantis, just to see if it's your sort of thing. And now, back to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. And welcome back everybody, we have just finished watching Our Liver, Our Liver, 
doodly doodly do de do and prepare to have that stuck in your head for, I'm guessing, a few days. Uh, <laughs> uh, joining me once again, we have Jason and Carmen Doley. Hello. Hello. So, Jason, your first time watching Oliver. Yeah. What do you think? Um, yeah, it was good. It was good. I think it's, um, I don't think I was totally amazed by it, but I think I, um, I've kind of found myself more thinking about the historical significance in cinema that it mm. kind of takes and how it kind of summarizes it's a good summary of almost an entire era's worth of film mm. in yeah. a way as it's kind of the big musical the 60s the you know first bits into color how it kind of is a good summary of all of those kind of areas of expertise essentially yeah that kind yeah of helps. it's it's an interesting one in terms of viewing it as almost mm. a, a period defining film because in a lot of ways oliver was sort of right at the tail end of about 30 years of of that big musical yeah. number yeah, cinema absolutely. it was um in doing the research for this it was the last musical to win an oscar until chicago so okay. the, the okay. 2002 yeah. one the 2002 one yeah so there was about a 34 year gap between um, that yeah, and obviously prior to that, you had quite a few musicals, which won uh, best picture. Yeah, it was awards. pretty much every second year was a was a musical uh, probably for a little while. Yeah, from that would have been like a western. Yeah, yeah. so or so um, or, or you know something like Ben Hur, you know, those yeah. big historical epics. But yeah, this this was really, I guess, yeah, it was right at the tail end of that when they were still uh, popular and and critically acclaimed. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, I think what's it four or five years after this, the best picture winner is The Godfather. You know, it's yeah. very <laughs> different films, <laughs> very different very stuff. Much so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Calm. This was your first time watching Oliver in how long? Uh, so the last time I watched it was when Rodden Moody died. So was that oh, like was two it? years ago? Uh, One year was ago, it, two, two oh, years ago. Oh, it was about four years ago. It was. A, it was. I have a feeling it was two thousand and twelve. I'll look up for you. But... No, because I was in medical school. Um, when he passed away, I don't think it was particularly long ago, but mm. whatever year that was, was the last time I watched it. Last time it. you watched it. And how was it kind of different or the same? Because it wasn't that long ago, it was yeah. like the last four years. Yeah, to be honest, when I put it on last, I wasn't really paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel a bit bad, but I was like, you know, kind of doing housework at the same time and just sort of popping in every now and again. Um, I like it, having done the stage version... It is mm. so much better in terms of the pacing and the placement of the musical numbers. Mm. Um, so to give you an idea, like in the first act of the musical, there's like, you know, about 12 songs. It just keeps going on and on. So mm. like, you know, the, the Undertakers have a song and then the Bumbles have a song and then mm. you've got, you know... Oh yeah, the Undertakers do have a song, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And then you've got one scene. In the first scene in Fagans, you've got four songs, one after the other in mm. this one scene. It, it um, did feel as though at the beginning because it had been such a long time um that that it was all it it, it almost wanted to be something like les, les miserables where yeah. it, where it's just sung through yeah um and then an opera almost yeah yeah and then Ooh. when they did break into to actually speaking basically once harry seacom stopped being in the film <laughs> yeah <laughs> he stopped wandering around going who will buy this boy or whatever the song is um once, once... <laughs> mixing two of the songs yeah. there I think. yeah yeah who will buy who will buy my sweet red roses that are also a boy <laughs> who will buy these lovely orphans uh but yes when when um uh boy for sale basically once he leaves then we do get some talking it did yeah. feel a bit like oh Oh yeah, they do. They, they do can talk. talk. Yeah, it, yeah. There's dialogue in it. Yeah, it... Um, which raised some really interesting issues later in the film in terms <laughs> of how much of this, how much do the characters know they're in a musical versus yeah. um, 
is music is the musical aspect just part of the world it's 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 one of those things that i always find with musicals where is there you, a, is there an alternate universe yeah. where yeah. we just as a, we're all a communal hive mind and every now and then we'll break into song yeah mm. it's and it, it's it's always a thing with musicals with that suspension of disbelief yeah. of going well, why are they all singing like that? You know, why yeah. are all, like in Les Mis, why are all these horrible French um, peasants all like scrounging singing around and, and singing? And... <laughs> yeah. it, but at the same time, I think Oliver's a really interesting example of that because you have things like at the end of the film, Nancy using one of the songs in the mm. pub. So clearly they're aware yeah. that they do this. Yeah. Well, the other thing about it is like that song that she sings is the opening to the second act. And it's a complete the throwaway. Umpapa? The umpapa. umpapa yeah. yeah, it's a it's a total nothing song. It's a complete throwaway. Oh. Um, and I think it's very good how Carol Reed moved it to almost the end of the film to mm. kind of heighten that suspense and use it, you mm. know, in a way that really built tension when there's nothing like that in the stage show. Yeah, it's um it's really good placement of the songs a lot better I think than yeah. the stage show and has been to to an extent. Like you can imagine that if you put on like if you were wanting to distract someone when you're somewhere where you could get away with singing, mm. like if you suddenly had to like hide something from someone at a wedding, you would like play a love shack or something like that <laughs> yeah. just to get everybody super distracted. It would really work for you too, honey. It's not um, a wedding unless you play Love Shack. It is, yeah. <laughs> but like you could do that and then just kind of grab everybody. Yeah. And, like yeah. grab the person you need to run off. So it mm. kind of makes sense. Who would Fred Schneider play in Oliver? If you cast Fred Schneider from the B-52s who sang Love Shack, oh. who's he playing? Because <laughs> he's got a very distinctive voice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, I think one of the trivia bits, and I don't know how correct this is, but mm. when Lionel Bart was first thinking of adapting mm. Oliver Twist into a musical, he originally wanted to make a rock opera starring mm. his best friend and then actually sat down and read the book and was like, oh, oh, maybe not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who was his best friend? Was it oh, I famous? don't remember. It no, was Fred Schneider. It <laughs> maybe it was. <laughs> From the B-52s. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he, was... he might have been 10, yeah. probably. <laughs> but he already had the voice. He was going to play Oliver. It was going to be great. Consider yourself one of ours. Do, 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 do. And so let's look at the actual film itself. Um, we watched the roadshow version, so that's the version yes. that came with the intermission and the um, the opening, the opening yeah. and the closing, Overture. Yeah. the exit music. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the on yeah. how do you say that word? Entractor. The entract. Entract. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, so it seems like every time I come on here, I recommend a YouTube video. Please do. Um, but my recommendation this time is going to be one that was uploaded recently by Lindsay Ellis, mm -hmm. um, which is a video essay called The Death of the Hollywood Movie Musical. Um, mm. And basically she talks a lot about this roadshow format, which was, it's kind of similar to what we do now with 3D and 4D experiences where you've got this, this premium quote unquote experience. Um, and it's meant to, in the case of a musical, it's meant to uh, replicate the stage show. So you've got, you know, you've got higher ticket prices, but you've got like a more exclusive, fancy audience. Hmm. Um, you've got your overture, you've got your intermission so you can go get drinks. There's souvenirs for sale. You know, hmm. there's exit music. It's, it's supposed to replicate a night at the theatre, basically. Yeah, it's so sort of blending the theatrical with the cinematic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what she talks about in this is that um, much like the superhero movies of today, it's, it's trying to get people out of their... Um, out of their couches, you know, there were TVs at the time that were taking people away from the cinema much as there's Netflix nowadays. Mm. And basically what she says is that it became more and more about the spectacle, about, you know, trying to to produce this thing on screen that was so amazing that you couldn't translate it to, to your home cinema, basically. Um, and it became, you know, just hyper... It just became a bubble, basically, yeah. of making things bigger and bigger to the point where it wasn't sustainable and you couldn't generate a profit. Yeah. 
Um, and she doesn't talk about Oliver specifically in that, but it's interesting because Oliver was, you know, probably one of the last big musicals to turn a profit, mm. probably because, you know, it had like this big following. It was well known in England. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting that it's just on that end of the musical not being a sustainable venture anymore. Mm. Because after this, it was just, it was things like Hello Dolly, which almost bankrupted, you know, 20th Century Fox. Yeah. Which we look on nicely, but at the time, it didn't make yeah, any money, it was, did it? No, it was, it was mm. yeah, literally almost bankrupted. And then from Hello Dolly, it's like there's very little for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Until well, like Greece. Well, well, there's Cabaret and Fiddler on the Roof and oh, stuff, yeah, but, they're not, yeah, but they're not these huge, expensive, lavish shows. And shows, yeah. the musicals which tend to succeed into the 70s when you get to things like Greece um, are either generally a, a kind of quite self-aware. Greece itself was um, a reaction to the musical Hair. Yeah. So the original musical Greece was essentially like pastiching Hair and then the filmic adaption kind of retained some of that. But it mm. also, compared to something like Oliver, Greece is not really shot like a musical, like a big musical film. It's not. Because yeah. Oliver is all sets. Yes. That, that is all massive set pieces that they did at, at Pinewood, whereas um, a lot of Greece was obviously on location. Yeah, yeah. And taking sort of musicals into the real world in that sense. Yeah. Um, it's we, ironic they shot it at Pinewood, like the bit with the um, on London Bridge. It's like you could just go to London Bridge from Pinewood. How much would it cost, though, to um, clear everyone of London mm. Bridge? And then to bit? make it look uh, Regency good. England. Well, even, yeah, yeah true. true. It, it would probably be cheaper to build your own. Yeah, set piece, which you know. is it's interesting because I, I do want to go back to what you were saying, comparing it to like superhero films. Yeah, and I guess that is kind of the point, which is like these days, almost everything's a th- you know a you know green screen set because that's cheaper. Yeah, um, than building a set, which was always cheaper than you know using the Tower of not Tower of London, London Bridge. Yeah, like mm-hmm. filming on location. Yeah. yeah. So and just to go back with that superhero thing, you kind of talked about this idea of the bubble bursting on the mm. musical because there is a lot of thought that the bubble's going to burst on the superhero genre at some point as well mm. um, because they're getting bigger and they're getting more expensive yeah. mm. as well. Um, I know it's not a superhero film, but like the solo film that just came out, the Han Solo film, mm. that was the most expensive um uh, Star Wars film that's ever been made mm. and it's also been the one that's made the least amount yeah. of money. Yeah. So it's a question of whether we go through we go through these ups and downs. We go through mm. uh westerns mm. give way to musicals. Musicals give way to essentially science fiction um because the last next big thing was probably, you know, 2001 a Space Odyssey, Star yeah. Wars after yeah, this, absolutely. which then gave way to action, which then gave way to the epic yeah. of like Lord of the Rings and Troy. Mm. which then gave way to kind of superheroes mm. as well. So yeah. I'm curious, what, what do you think is going to give way next? I, that's a good question. Like, like what's going to replace superhero films is the big thing. Because I think, I think superhero films have got quite a lot of legs left in them. I think so too, which is makes it more interesting than almost all the others. So, yeah. You know, you could say that science fictions have kind of still been around since, yeah. but, but you never had your Star Wars or your Alien. Yeah, you, 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 what you tend to get with those previous um, genres is that there'll be a film every five years or so that harkens back to that. You had, for example, La La Land in 2016. It was yeah. like, oh, we're harkening back to that period. You've had yeah. occasional cowboy films like... Um, Unforgiven or 310 to Yuma. Yeah, or Django Unchained. Or oh, yes. Yeah. True Grit. Uh, mm. You know, they, they're both films that came out in the last 10 years. 
were proper westerns, but they were so well done, and in a market where there weren't that many westerns being made, yeah. that people really liked them. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I don't know what would replace superheroes, because if you look at it, it's... If you consider the start of um, superhero films when they first started to be really good, you'd say it's around like X-Men times. So that mm. means it's been 18 years mm. yeah. since the superhero, which does overlap into the epics because 2001 was the Lord of the Rings. Mm. Yeah. So I'd say it's been about eight years yeah. of proper superhero films. Like 2012 was the Avengers, which is where a lot of people started to finally take mm. notice. Could it be so, that we loop Brown entirely and go back to uh, musical adaptions of Dickens' well, works? Yeah. Well, that's kind of the point that Lindsay Ellis was making. She, mm. you know, she started the film, the essay by talking about Mamma Mia two, and she yeah, concluded yeah. it by saying, you know, ironically, Mamma Mia two is actually the most innovative release in cinemas at the moment because <laughs> it's so unlike anything else. Yeah, and um, also in, yeah. in that it's a musical. But, and yeah. even within it, you can see. I don't know, maybe because I had that in mind, but the way humor is used in the musical. Is, mm. Like you could draw a lot of similarities to how humor is used in Marvel films mm. as well. Like it's just a little kind of odd thing that goes on in the background. It's a kind of, you know, superhero films use it as like a punk, like a, a full stop to a scene or to a sentence. Mm. Um, while this is kind of used as kind of having fun during a scene. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, like when the, the Undertaker comes in and yeah. he's drunk and he just sits down and at the end is like, "Oh, this is quite nice." Yeah, I'm lying, lying in, coffin. in my coffin. Yeah. Compared to like, you know, I'm trying to think of a typical like th- that man's playing Gallagher yeah. in um, the Avengers. Yeah. yeah, where he makes the joke at the beginning and then at the end when every all the drama's kind of wrapped up of them arguing, it just cuts back to that guy and he kind of looks around and starts playing Gallagher again. Yeah. So I think this idea of like humor with spectacle is like a huge part of, you know, Avengers and, you know, superhero films and um, musicals. Yeah. Because they did, they got big and they got bloated Mm. because you have to be better than the last one in a way that stops, um, stops you from being able to innovate. And I feel like this one almost becomes, you know, a parody of itself at some points because just some of the numbers are just so ridiculously big. Absurd, yeah. Um, Who will buy? Yeah. And and, and consider yourself as well as the other one, you know. You get, you know, the the street people coming out and then everyone leaves their houses and then you get the school kids coming along and dancing and then you get the freaking marching band. So it's now our turn to actually say consider yourself. Yeah. yeah, it, it's just uh, this this ridiculous. Um, yeah. Uh, what were you saying? The the theatre of the macabre kind uh, of the, theatre of the uh, theatre of cruelty. Arto mm. is something I always like to think of um, musicals as being that. Like that is about being cruel to your audience mm. in a way. And I think and musicals I feel do that in a way that almost makes them like part of the theatre of the cruel or theatre yeah. of like, you know, they're, they're very Brechtian as well because you can tell the good guys because the good guys have the love song. Mm. Um, we were saying even during it, and this is like two of the probably, like, you know, pretty consistent rules with musicals is that villains, you know, some often villains won't sing. Bill Sykes doesn't sing in this. Yeah. And then yeah. also whenever you're talking like, people don't tend to lie very much in songs. Yeah. Hmm. Or if they are, it's about uh, being very obvious in their deceit. Yeah, yeah. The, the song is, is a moment of truth. Like, yeah. the, the way it's used, particularly, this this film, um, it's Oliver we're doing, by the way. Uh, this film is, <laughs> is, a, is a classic example of that. The um, Oliver yeah. 
the old Avengers. Oh, man, I'd, uh, Tony Stark as Fagin. Um, but yeah, Fagin is a great example where he's like considering cutting and running or staying yeah. in a life of crime. Mm. And he spends essentially three minutes singing in indecision. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, he's yeah. having his own internal And even by the end of it, I'm like, so so what did you do? Did, did you decide or did you just happen to go back into the house? Yeah. It yeah. almost feels as though the song yeah. ends and he's like, oh, I'm staying in crime. I guess I'm staying in crime because yeah. I, you know, the footnotes told me to be yeah. here. And so. it's, it's kind of interesting that you say that the villains don't sing as well because, you know, um, you've seen the stage show. Bill Sykes does have a song in that. Yeah. Um, and I think the director, Carol Reed, basically decided to cut that out because he didn't want Bill Sykes to sing. Mm. I think there was also maybe some concern about Oliver Reed's singing voice. There was a little bit of a concern. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a bit concerned about Mark Lester's singing voice as well. well. Sorry, Mark fun, Lester. Fun thing you should say that. That's something that's going to come up in the yeah. trivia, Ooh, obviously. Go. Uh, young uh, Mark Lester, who who is uh, playing the part of Oliver, uh, it's not his singing voice. Yeah, I It's know, uh, yeah. replaced by uh, someone else entirely. So, okay. Yeah, because he, he wasn't a great singer, but they liked him as a, as a child actor. Mm. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I mean, we he, have, yeah, we've had a lot of child actors on in, in the last couple of weeks. Um, especially, yeah. Yeah, and like when you compare that, that performance directly to, the, say, the child actors that we just saw in Slumdog Millionaire... <laughs> He's not at the same level, Mark. No, no but, it but, does feel like he's being coached through yeah, a lot of it to me. But, exactly, but there are some things that he can get. Like, he does do, um, I think one of the best parts where I was like, oh, maybe he's not that bad, mm. is when he's being held in place by the dog. Yeah. Like, yeah, that bit where yeah. he's cowering in the corner. Like, yeah. he did, he can do cowering, and he, maybe that's it. Like, yeah. It looks like he needs protecting. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, which I think is important for your Oliver. Um, yeah. Because Oliver, as a character kind of doesn't really isn't really much of a character it's mm. more about the world around oliver twist yeah, yeah it's we, the adults who are you know yeah. kind yeah. of deciding what happens to it basically and the adults are the, mm. the interesting characters which can be a big problem in a lot of films like if your character is just swept along mm. yeah um but you even made the point at one point like dickens when he wrote it like he wrote children's books sometimes but yeah, this, this is was, not one of them. No, and I think, if I remember rightly, it's actually one of the first English language books to actually have a child as a main character. Mm-hmm. You know, before this, you had like the Spanish, um, oh, what's it called? The the Spanish genre where it's like a child going on a journey. Buildings Roman. Buildings Roman. That you didn't really have anything in the English language. Okay. They did that? Okay. Um, and it was, yeah, it was only like 50 years, I think, Um a 50-year beforehand yeah. that um, you actually had children as main characters in, in English literature. So it was quite early if on. If you ever have them as a child, I guess you also see them growing up. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, Great it, Expectations. Yeah. And yeah. It, it was actually interesting seeing that in this story, and it's something I always forget about Oliver Twist, we don't see Oliver grow up. No. Because no. that's such a common thing for books or stories that follow a child is that we see that child grow in some case we don't really see oliver grow at all like he 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 completely flunks his first pickpocketing job by just standing still um he he's yeah the way when he comes up to me he just almost the way he walks up you're like what are you guys doing huh (laughs) hey are we pickpocketing now oh that's great um and then you know when he's um when he's working as the undertaker he gets riled up straight away by noel and just starts like he swings the hammer around pretty well but that's about it like it doesn't feel as though Oliver as a character ever really progresses. It, yeah. it, it is about what those yeah. adults do. We see Fagan never quite stand up to Bill Sykes, but you know, is very much like we see a little bit of development there. Yeah, him um, desiring to. Yeah, we see we see it more with Nancy. To be honest, yeah. we see her. Mm. Um, it's more about her realizing that she she starts off the film thinking, "Oh, I'm in a 
I'm in a relationship with Bill Sykes. Um, it's not ideal, but nothing is. You know, that <laughs> yeah. kind of it's thing. It's still fine. It's a yeah. fine life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The, yeah. It's it like, really isn't, but... <laughs> it's a little airborne. It's still good. It's still good. Um, and then the film, you know, it ends with her doing a complete flip and ultimately sacrificing her life to save Oliver, Oliver. From, from Bill. Um, and it's, those progressions are are really interesting to see but Oliver himself is yeah. is yeah. more just like yeah. the engine through which those stories happen. Yeah. I wanted to actually ask you guys too just I was thinking pretty heavily about the Sykes and um Nancy relationship. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering like how how do you feel like it's viewed or kind of put forward because she has a song about her relationship with him as well. Mm. And yeah. like it, it seems I I got lots of kind of mixed messages to whether you're meant to see it, not positive, well, kind of almost positively in a way. I just wanted to get you got your thoughts on it. Um, I think this and the musical Carousel kind of fall into very, very similar category for me because Carousel also you know has a domestic violence relationship and there's a very similar song about. You know, oh, but he loves me he, really. Uh, you know, you love him, so don't worry about anything else, kind of thing. Mm. I think Oliver is a little bit more nuanced in that you see what happens. Like, obviously, it has tragic outcomes, yeah. and so maybe you're you're supposed to question it. You know, given that that context of the ending, I think the thing is in the book, it's you never quite know what Nancy's motivations are. It's never actually explicitly said. But the closest you get to it is Mr. Brownlow um, at the end offers her the chance to escape and go to like another country. And she says to him, no, you know, I I hate my life. I I don't like it anymore, but it's all I know and it's all I deserve and it's punishment for all that I've done wrong. Mm. And I mean, to me, it like that book kind of makes me think that Dickens was maybe critiquing that society that would make a woman feel like so morally shamed that she felt she had no option but to stay in that kind of relationship mm. and mm-hmm. i guess the other thing as well that's worth mentioning is that um after dickens wrote oliver twist he actually sort of took it upon himself to establish like a home and a financial support system for those kind of women mm-hmm. um so he actually ended up you know helping a lot of women who were in nancy's situation yeah. mm-hmm. um so it, it's a product of its time and it's not, and it's probably both times yeah. as well, not just eighteen thirty. Eighteen thirty-seven is when the book came out, and this and film is nineteen sixty-eight. Sixty-eight. Yeah. So you've got, you know, it's one hundred fifty years. No, one hundred thirty. One hundred thirty years. Yeah. Thank you. you know, my maths was off. One hundred thirty <laughs> years since um, between those two kind of activities, but I feel like there's been maybe some change in. Um, values, but they're yeah. still, you know, they're still different to what we have now in 2018. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think the film, um, at least in my viewing of it in this one, I don't think this film it sets out that Nancy and Bill have have a positive or healthy relationship in any way. Really, mm. I, I'm, no. my, you know, I think it's it's very clear at the beginning that you know when you have a character singing. It's not great, but it's okay. You're like, mm, okay, well, there's only one way that this can develop realistically. Yeah. Yeah. And is it someone's got to grow beyond it? Yeah, and that's what 
Nancy does, um, mm. but ultimately to to her to her detriment um, yeah. because she ends up getting murdered in a way that I did not remember being as brutal as that. It's I, it's even worse in the book. Yeah, like yeah, it's it, it's pretty. <laughs> I, I told you this is not a children's. No, it's book, not. No. I, and this and might... it's weird that they almost play like because at the end when you see the body, like she's twitching. And mm. I'm like, are they making fun of it? I do. Like, no. I I've, I viewed the twitch as like, oh, she's not dead. Like, yeah. as in, like, she might be, she might survive, but she doesn't. She's, she's dead. She's, yeah. she's yeah. gone. And it's, and it happens, it's very quick and it's very brutal and it sort of just is horribly, horribly tragic. Yeah. Um, and I, like, I think. I'm trying to listen to the music to work out the cue, but the music's all over the shop sometimes <laughs> yeah. too. So. I, I think it's. I think it's very clear the way the film has set it up is like Bill Sykes is is oh, is, yeah, is, an, yeah. is entirely a villain mm. and and that 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 the Oliver is the catalyst for that relationship with everyone around Bill to change because yeah. he is everything he does particularly concerning Oliver is to try and hold on to his position as as like a king of the underworld yeah um which makes it like it was a very unstable position, like the fact that yeah. no boys had gone missing. <laughs> yeah, so far. Yeah, and also like it's been a week and a mm. half. You know, you think by like before he goes and finally captures or recaptures Oliver, mm. it's like you would have told him pretty quickly, I'd assume. Mm. Like if they didn't come down immediately, he'd be like, well, "I guess he didn't rat on us. We should be good. We can mm. keep staying in our attic with mm. the owl that keeps staring <laughs> judgmentally at everyone." And yeah. Can I? Am I able to bring up the book again, or is that? Please bring yeah, up the book. Yeah, no, but again. bring well, the book. I, I guess in the book it does make a little bit more sense because basically, whenever anyone come, becomes an inconvenience to Fagan, he just he ends up selling them out to the police and getting them hung. Right. So it kind of makes a bit more sense as to you know. Oh, how he, they can't hang this one out because yeah, but, he's gone with Brownlow and yeah, he's kind of protected yeah. by the okay, law. So. But basically, all, everyone's you know terrified of Fagan, so that's kind of why he's able to maintain mm. that position as well. What did um, you think of uh, Fagan first first time watching this? Um, he's he's fun, and I think he's obviously meant to be that kind of mm. fun character. But there was a lot of depth to the character. Yeah. Mm. I'd say, like, you can see him, and it's a very deliberate choice, obviously, wrestling with his choices, even mm. early on, before he's even properly met Oliver, or understands that Oliver is this kind of catalyst to change. You can see a lot of, like, gears turning in his head, which always yeah. makes it for quite a fun character. But then, at the same time, he's sly and slippery and jumpy, and that's always kind of fun to watch. Yeah. And like you'll seeing, and he's hyperactive, and he looks funny. So like, it's a character I think as a kid you're meant to quite like as mm. well. And I, I think a lot of that is just Ron Moody's interpretation of it. Yeah. Um, I know that when Lionel Bart originally wrote the songs, he meant them all to be sung seriously, and Ron Moody mm. got the part and looked at the script and was like, "No, you can't, you can't <laughs> sing this seriously." So a lot of it is, yeah, is. Is probably due to Ron Moody, and I think he does. He really does a great performance in it. Yeah, I mean Ron um, Moody, uh, who passed away in two thousand fifteen. Oh, okay, so that that yeah. would have been the last time I watched it. Um, he, um, one of the things I think that he does really well is I think he is playing an adult the way that children, children would view adult. that adult. Yeah, particularly like an adult who is like the leader of a gang. Yeah. 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 Like it is a bit outlandish. It is a bit silly. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, he's got like the dirty teeth and the scraggly beard and, you know, he's not a handsome looking uh, man and he's constantly like 
um he's very theatrical and you yeah. know with the, all the sleight of hand stuff and yeah. the magic mm. tricks he's um very willy wonka meets doctor who which is ironic <laughs> yeah. because he was meant for both those parts that's too. true yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, which um, we discussed earlier yeah. too yeah so ron moody could have been arthur doctor or indeed um the original willy, willy wonka, wonka. In, yeah. in the film um and it, it and yeah. you, you kept calling Oliver Charlie. I did keep, yeah, it, you know, small, small blonde boy <laughs> yeah. on a slightly grainy film. I'm going to get Became confused. a health professional after the movie ended. Oh, did he? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I always forget. Which one was Peter Ostrom? Who oh, Peter Ostrom Charlie? was Charlie. Peter Ostrom was Charlie. Yeah, yeah. but what did, what did he end up becoming? Um, Orthodontist? No, that's too, that's too perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have to look it up. But they, yeah. they both went into medical professions. I think Mark Lester is a vet. I okay. think, yeah. I thought... Or an osteopath or something yeah. like that. All right, but yeah, no, he's an osteopath. Ah, there yeah. you go. He he became an osteopath. Mark and, Lester. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's uh, sixty years old now. I just realised. Oh wow! I just had a look. So uh, yeah, happy well, birthday. I don't know if it was today. I just know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just know that he is uh, bang on. Someone play this for him on his birthday. Yeah, back in July. <laughs> yeah, happy, okay. happy birthday back for in July. Happy birthday, Mark. Happy Lester. belated birthday. Yeah, Mark Lester. Um, did you have a favourite song? Um. I think just because of both the characterization and how the tune was and how the tune kind of changed um, and its difference to everything else. Like usually if you'd asked me beforehand, I would have said probably Um Papa, mm-hmm. probably specific for how, kind of how it's a throwaway song in Oliver. But I'd say it's um, I'm reviewing the situation. Oh, yeah. Uh, is probably my favorite because it is it is purely about character and it is probably also the most distinct sounding song mm. that yeah. isn't also like a big musical number. So mm. yeah. yeah, I would say it's that. What about yourself, Stephen? Um, it's hard. I really like um, I really liked Oliver. Oliver. Like the beat. Yeah, the tune to that is one that's just I found quite engaging. I'm. I'm not big on food, glorious food. It's, no. it's a nice song, yeah. but it's it's one that I think has been slightly soured for me by other people. <laughs> yeah, specifically school assemblies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went to boarding it. school, yeah. and yeah. yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, okay, it's a nice song, but let's just forget that. Um, Merry could... Christmas War is over. Got ruined for me for a lot of like end of year oh. assemblies. I I felt that was ruined the moment John opened his mouth and sang it with Yoko. But we'll, <laughs> we'll ignore that. There is not much more in the world that makes me want to shoot myself than trying a Christmas shop and having that song playing <laughs> over the stereo system. Yeah. Oh. So, sorry if you're listening, Yoko. Um, <laughs> a lot of what you did was good, but that song is not yeah. specifically Ugh. a favorite. Yeah. Um, still not the worst beat or the Christmas song though. Looking at you, Paul. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the the. I think it's it's them. I, I actually really liked watching with all the visuals. Um, who will buy? Um, mm. That I thought that one was very effective, particularly the way it builds. And I think it has a good use of 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 um, Oliver singing in it as well. And you're seeing him mm. like trying to reflect on on this new wondrous like world that he's trying in. to trying to explain yeah, yeah. understand yeah. existence in a way yeah and the way it builds and builds with all the street sellers um you know shouting out all the different things they're selling yeah. selling it's yeah it, we just tried to come up with a modern version of that as yeah. well like you know insurance <laughs> yeah here's who, your pizza yeah. <laughs> who will rent this Uber car <laughs> who will take it very far yeah so for me. I don't think there's one that specifically is like, aha, that is the, that is the hit song. Um, I I really liked Consider Yourself as well. I think yeah. that's that's the other one. Um, so you like your 
the big stagey ones. Yeah, but specifically, Consider Yourself made me appreciate a lot more um, Every Sperm is Sacred from me. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah it's, um, it, I've forgotten how much the Pythons yeah. took the mick out of that routine in, yeah. in Meaning of Life. Um, Carmen, do you have a favourite song? Um, I really like the harmonies in the opening bit of Who Will Buy. Mm. Um, but then it's just so long after that. And it's just like, I just want that first two minutes. That first two minutes is fine. Of Boy For Sale? Oh, who uh, will buy? Of Who Will Buy. Um, I think for me, just probably the way it's used for dramatic tension, it's got to be Umpapa. Umpapa? Yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. I think, um, yeah, no, they're, they're all much catchier songs mm. yeah. than I think you'd find. Like, you can, we can sit there and have a choice, usually with a lot of other plays. But like you'll just go well. There's two, like big yeah. songs. Yeah. Like there's two I remember. Yeah. yeah. There's two I remember. Two that I kind of go with. Um. Even Disney song. Disney has that problem yeah. too with all their musicals. You'll just be like uh, Prince Ali and A Whole New World. Yeah. And uh, that's about it. Are you forgetting Friend Like Rob- Me? Yeah. Robin Williams sang in that. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say until I was going to say Friend Like Me and um, Prince Ali, and then I was like, wait, no, The Holy World's the most famous. And then you've song. got Arabian Night. Yeah. Okay. You know, Aladdin may be a bad example because <laughs> yeah. that's a great, it's a great one. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Yes. No, every song in Beauty and the Beast is basically the best. I, I, I know it is, but yeah. we've watched it like 50 times. That's yeah. probably why Frozen. I remember them all. Frozen yeah. has one. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, Moana has two, hmm. I'd yeah. say. Well, maybe three. But yeah, anyway, we're getting really we, off we track. Are getting <laughs> um, but I'm saying like this one has probably about eight. Like, yeah. you know, Food, Glorious Food, Oliver, Who Will Buy, Consider Yourself, I'd Do Anything, um, Pick Your Pocket or Two. Like, there's so many. And that's first act. Yeah. Basically. I guess, so, I guess Lionel Bart was just very good at, at writing Yeah. Did he, did he do any other musicals? Uh, mm-hmm. He did uh, Things Ain't What They Used To Be. Mm-hmm. Um, he did one called Twang with two exclamation marks. Well, he moved yeah. up after Oliver with one. <laughs> yeah. He also did Lionel with one exclamation mark. <laughs> um, yeah. I think Oliver... I, that should be the name of his autobiography, yeah. his biography, though. It's just Lionel. Yeah. Reg- yeah. yeah regarding his, um, his West End career, anyway, I think Oliver was the, the smash hit. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Would you guys like some trivia about Oliver? Yeah. Yeah. All right. When Nancy asks Bill if he loves her and Bill says, of course I do. I live with you, don't I? Um, that line was ad-libbed by Sharni Wallace and Oliver Reed because Reed was walking through a very tough neighbourhood one day and heard a woman saying, don't you love me? And a man saying, of course I do. I f- you don't I <laughs> Reed wanted to use it in the movie but the director Carol Reed wouldn't let him so they changed it to live with live with yeah, yeah. Oliver Reed I like this improv is it to hear somebody else do something and then go to the director go we want to do this <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean Oliver Reed was very good in this um if you yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he was good um but he was also possibly playing to to his life too experience yeah. to an extent yeah like not that he went around beating up victorian women but he had a reputation for being a hard man yeah uh, sort of like a rough housing drinking scumbag to an extent mm. and yeah. like uh, it's maybe not as big a stretch for him to play sykes as it would have yeah. been to play if you need any evidence yeah. um episode i can't remember which one of gladiator of the oh, um, yes. cinema catch-up club with carmen and patrick has yeah. a lot on Oliver Reed yeah. and um, the many activities he used to get up to. Yes. But apparently he did, you know, he was a method actor in Gladiator. Apparently he was a bit of a method actor in this as well. And he wouldn't mm. talk to anyone else uh, when the I camera just... stopped rolling. He just like would sit in a corner and sulk, basically. Um, yeah. And everyone was just a bit terrified of him. 
Yeah, that, um, that, that, that I think he's. I don't know if that maybe that was just his personality, not method. It might have, yeah, but... it might have just been more like, oh, this is a good way to get around actually having to talk to people and yeah. pretend I'm interested. So. Don't have to talk to these children. Boys. <laughs> yeah, because um, even like I did notice like when he's talking and he's obviously meant to be talking just at Fagan, like because the kids aren't really meant to be understanding. He's still giving the death stare to every single child like they're adults <laughs> as well, which I actually really quite liked. Mm. But at the same time, it's like you. Like I don't, no, maybe don't like mm. you know look like you're about to murder children. Yeah. Since Mark Lester, who played Oliver, was mm. uh, unable to simulate tears, freshly cut onions were used uh, to make his eyes water for the "Where Is Love" number. Ah, uh, yeah. that's yep. the one where he's in the basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I did see the tears like being very prominent. I thought they might have actually just you know yeah. glycerin or something. Yeah, yeah, or just dropped. Like, you know, yeah, they water just on his face. Picked up some onions out of the uh, plates of dry ice from the first scene. <laughs> so much dry ice. Yeah. All this food is either really hot or really cold. <laughs> can't uh, t- especially when the vegetables go by. I'm like, yeah. I can't tell which it is. Yeah. It could just be frozen veggies. Um, Honor White recalled that uh, Jack Wilde had to practically drag Mark Lester through consid- the Consider Yourself number. Wilde had been a part of the West End version and knew the entire play backwards, but obviously Mark Lester had no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that worked quite well. The Artful yeah. Dodger, who um, is is like it's it's not a major character, but he's an important character. Um, particularly, you know, he's he's um, you know he sort of brings Oliver into this this criminal yeah. world. And anybody, yeah. if you say the Artful Dodger, everybody knows who you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think um, Jack Wilde did a really good job playing. He him. did. Um, I think he actually got a nomination for Best Supporting Actor for this, um, and he was actually up against Jack Albertson, who played Grandpa Joe. Mm. In Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, it was a different film. I think it was the subject with the roses or something like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, um, they went to announce the the winner, and they said Jack, and Jack Wilde stood up. Mm. Unfortunately, it was Jack Albertson who who won the Oscar. Mm. Um, uh-huh. But he did he did do quite a bit of stuff after this. You know, he did H.R. Puff and stuff, and mm. that you know a lot of stuff in the sixties. Um, unfortunately, he did like turn to drugs and alcohol, and he died quite young as a result. Yeah, died mouth cancer. Yeah, he? mouth cancer. Um, yeah. But before he died, he actually um, uh, gave some advice to a young Daniel Radcliffe, oh. who was just being cast as Harry Potter at that time, <laughs> basically saying, don't do what I did, kind mm. of thing. Don't turn to drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try and have a career after, well, not try and have a career, but try and be very successful. Yeah. Mm. Okay. But he was very much a, a heartthrob in the 60s, apparently. Okay. Yeah. I go. thought I thought when I was watching him, I felt like the his... His performance physically was always quite good. Like, especially like the first time you see him where he's kind of moving around and slinking. Mm. That looked really awesome. But then I think sometimes the probably trying to do the accent and concentrate on the words that he's saying kind of felt more like a kid acting. Yeah. Like, you know, that kind of thing where they... Where a kid kind of like is very stilted in his conversation. Yeah, yeah. When I mean... When they're trying to... You know, act essentially. Yeah, physically, he's he's a great performer. Yeah. I get what you mean about the the Cockney accent and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, or even just bits where, like, you know, oh, don't tell me you've done this. Like when they're trying to be very, like, you know, over dramatic or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Kid, like he literally is just walking, looking down at the ground, like mm. he was before. Like he's not acting the way he's speaking. Yeah. Mm. Um, as a practical joke on Harry Seacombe, the makeup department created a false ear for Mark Lester so that when Seacombe grabbed the boy's ear, it came off in his hand. <laughs> so that's obviously just someone very bored in the makeup yeah. department going, I'm sick of making everyone look like they've got TV. Let's make it <laughs> false this, this, is, this is my 14th mutton chop I've made today. <laughs> 
Um, while filming the scene where Oliver gets a peek at Fagin's treasure, uh, director Carol Reed was not satisfied with the reaction on Mark Lester's face. So while reshooting the scene, he hid a small white rabbit in his pocket and stood behind the camera. As Ron Moody opened the box of treasures, Reed pulled the rabbit out of his pocket. Lester's reaction to the sight of the rabbit is used in the final film. There you go. I'm just imagining the owl in the corner of that shot just like swooping down <laughs> and <taking> the rabbit. <laughs> Yeah, that maybe is why Mark West is so shocked. (laughs) I've just seen a vicious, vicious... Vicious murder. Yeah. Um, I'll use that for later. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Mark Lester, as we said, didn't do any of his own singing in Oliver. It was dubbed by Kath Green, daughter of Johnny Green, the uh, the music arranger slash supervisor on the film. So it was a female voice doing Oliver. It was a female voice doing Oliver. Um, Interestingly, I remember, sorry to interrupt, um, there was an interview with Shaney Wallace who played Nancy at one point. And she said right after she got hired, they were actually considering not only having her play Nancy, but also do Mark Lester's singing voice as well. Um, but they oh. they couldn't get too much of a difference in the sound, so they were like, oh, we'll just go Otherwise with it. Otherwise it sounds like Shani Wallace is singing with Shani Wallace. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So. Um, now, obviously the character of uh, Fagin has mm. um, very like Jewish connotations. Um, yes. And previously when other people have played the role, it's been considered quite anti-Semitic. Ron Moody actually toned down his East London Yiddish accent for the film as compared to the original stage version, partly because it was considered ineligible for Americans uh, (laughs) not being able to understand (laughs) the accent, um, and partly to avoid those accusations of anti-Semitism, although Moody himself was, to quote himself, 100% Jewish. Mm -hmm. Um, In his autobiography, Moody admitted he also changed his accent for the film because a Jew in England in 1837 would not have had his accent. Uh, what came to be regarded as Jewish accents were the result of immigration, um, the immigration of Jews to the UK from Germany and Poland yeah, later on in the 19th mm. century. So in terms of like trying to make it historically accurate, that, that very specific accent hadn't really developed at that time. Oh, okay. So mm. yeah, I just thought it was an interesting, an interesting number of reasons for that choice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think this film does a pretty good job where you're not viewing Fagin. At least I, I didn't view Fagin as like, oh well, he represents all Jews. Like yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I did not feel that watching this film. Yeah. No, I think you really don't. Like mm. the only even musically cued, I felt like the only time is kind of a couple of the bits in reviewing the situation. Yeah. Where they kind of do a yada da da yada da da, which is like, yeah, very much a, like a cue for probably Judah Fiddler on the roof. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it, it. I mean, I think it is also good that they had that in mind mm. going into this film, and that they were conscious of this. You know, fifty yeah. years ago, like it was something yeah. that they they made yeah. a decision to go. We don't want to, because Fagin isn't a sympathetic character. He's he, he's the lesser of the two baddies, but he's yeah. still a baddie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I thought that was probably a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Carol Reed was quite mindful of um, the Oliver Twist that was made. 20 years before this one mm. uh, which had Alec Guinness as Fagan mm. um, and that ended up getting banned in Israel or censored in Israel because it was just deemed too anti-Semitic basically mm. yeah. um, so they were probably quite mindful of that that would have been quite recent at the time yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Oliver Reed's only song My Name uh, was cut from oh, the oh that's the bloody yeah. the it's, it's not a great song yeah it's officially it's not, um, it isn't really sung yeah. No. It's mostly yelled. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, strong Oliver... men tremble <laughs> and they fear it. Oliver Reed could have done that. Yeah. And then <laughs> the dog usually... is upstaging me this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the dog. Oh. I love the dog in Carmen's version that did it because it was such a happy little dog. Mm. And usually what you do is 
it's cue is usually just to run from one side of the stage yeah. to the other or follow along. So mm. either Bill Sykes has got something in his pocket the dog wants, mm. or you put the dog's owner on the other side and have like you know have the person holding it. Yeah. And um, I think I don't think it was the night I saw it, but it was one of the nights Carl was telling me about the part where he's meant to run and like abandon Bill Sykes. Yeah. Um, he got really excited because the owner waved a treat in front of his face, and he got excited. And then the owner went around the back and then waved it from the other side of the thing. <laughs> and could see it. And so, oh my god, oh my god, and it goes and it just goes, 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 and then just slips, falls on the side, and then just keeps running. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm coming, I'm coming, boom! I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. So you had a very positive yeah. bullseye in your. We show. did, and that's the trouble is like you know as soon as you bring that bloody dog out on stage, you know the audience love it. They they love it, and yeah. it's just you can't have any kind of serious yeah. message or you know dark dark movie or dark stage show going yeah. on because like, everyone's yeah, just it's like wrapped a dog. up in the bloody dog. It's like a dog in the playground. It's like yeah. that, that. Yeah, oh, this is great. Yeah, yeah everything stops. Um, but, officially, the reason that the producers uh, chose not to have it was because Bill, they felt Bill Sykes should not sing. Mm. But there was also alleged concerns about the quality of Oliver Reed singing. Oh, I'm just saying, yeah. Um, the instrumental version is played in the background when we first see Bill Sykes in the film, though. Mm. Mm, I did notice that. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, the first time Mark Lester saw Ron Moody out of his Fagin makeup, he didn't recognise him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah. once he lost the uh, the cat weasel whiskers, he's uh, a <laughs> yes. very different look. Mm. Um, Boy for Sale was shot in July 1967, despite the required <laughs> snow setting. I thought you were going to say Geelong. It was shot in Geelong, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boy for Sale. Oh, can he kick a Sharon? <laughs> no. <laughs> Move on then. Move on. <laughs> um, so July. Yeah. The exterior shots depended on adequate cloud cover um, due to erratic weather in London. The snowballs were made of polystyrene, salt, crazy foam, and mashed potatoes. Yay. <laughs> yes, that was you, you were very you were very keen to make yeah, sure I brought so up the mashed potatoes. Yes, I was very keen to, to talk about the mashed potato snowballs. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because like I remember just first reading that trivia bit and just being like, well, they threw snowballs at him. How did they not like stick horribly to him and leave mm. like mashed potato smears all over costumes? But <laughs> well, it cuts away very quickly. Yeah, after that. yeah. Mm. When he finally received his payment for the film at the age of eighteen, uh, because the money had been put into a trust for him, seven guineas. Mark Lester, yeah, <laughs> all thereabouts. Mark, Mark Lester went out and bought a Ferrari. Oh, nice. So yeah, I think maybe that's why. Um, Jack Wilde had that. He was like, oh, Daniel, listen. <laughs> uh, don't do yeah. it. I know someone who went and bought a Ferrari and... Ugh. Yeah, and he got to become a ophthalmologist? Uh, um, osteopath. Osteopath. Yeah. Ophthalmologist. Do, do osteopaths tend to earn enough to buy a Ferrari? I have no idea. Hmm. I have no idea. Well, well, that's research for another time. Yes. yes. Um, amazingly, the composer of, this, uh, of the score, Lionel Bart, uh, could not read music himself. From his earliest days in theatre, he would sing the melodies to a trained pianist who would then set the tunes down on sheet music and orchestrate mm. them. Uh, so like Mel, Mel Brooks. Yeah, where yeah. he just goes, it goes a bit like this. Okay, I've got it. Thanks. Yeah. Great. Another another <laughs> smash it from Lionel Bar. <laughs> Put some nice harmonies yes. in there too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. um, Fagan's Owl. Um, reacted every time Carol Reed shouted action by spinning its head 180 degrees. Um, <laughs> action where? <laughs> where? I can't see it anywhere. Um, in the original Broadway production, the Artful Dodger was played by future monkey Davy Jones. Davy Jones. Mm, that's right. Who uh, was nominated for a 1963 Tony Award for Best Featured Actor in a Musical. So there, there we go. go. There when did um when did this come out? This was sixty eight. So no, sorry. When did the musical start? Nineteen uh, sixty. Sixty. Yeah. So it was out eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Ron Moody credited popular magician and uh, former cardboard cutout on the back of your toilet door, Jason, Tommy Cooper, oh, as the yes. inspiration uh, for his interpretation of oh, Fagin. God. I forgot about that. <laughs> I didn't. Um, for, for, <laughs> for, for those listening uh, at home, uh, Jason, in a, in a previous house, had yeah. on the back of a toilet door... A, like a paper mask of Tommy Cooper. Yeah, Tommy Cooper with the fez. <laughs> but with the eyes cut out. Yeah, so you could see if you put the Tommy Cooper mask on. Yeah, but on. if you're if you're not used to it <laughs> and you close that door and you see Tommy Cooper's giant grin with the eyes cut out, it's just as well there's a toilet nearby because that was terrifying. It didn't help that we were all perpetually drunk at that house as well. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, th- I think it's interesting that Ron Moody went for like a Tommy Cooper approach. Um, yeah. Because yeah, it, it is that that playful mm. silliness, that sort of almost like mm. semi-magical character. Yeah, yeah and it, it's something kids like. It's a clever clown. Mm. Um, you know, Toby Cooper was essentially that, and yeah. Fagin is. And, mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Mark Lester's surname is actually Letzer, L-E-T-Z-E-R, and it was anglicised to Lester, so it would sound less German and less Jewish. Mm. Huh? Um, Jason, you have a, a surname that is reasonably German. Yep. In that it is German. Well, Carmen does too now. And now Carmen yeah. does. Uh, <laughs> it's catching. Um, if you had, yeah, watch out, Stephen. Oh, if you had to anglicise uh, Dolly, what what do you think it would become? It would probably become Crow. I was in like as a straight translation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it mean Dolly means jackdaw specifically or Corvus. Right. Which is, you know, two different kinds of crow, essentially. So you'd be Jason Crow. Jason Crow. Dr. Carmen Crow. You are going to turn somebody into a supervillain with that name. That (laughs) is amazing. Because of the alliteration, like Otto Octavius and... Yeah. It's Dr. Dr. Carmen Crow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So, yeah, no, that would be it. Or um, or even just Doyle. Everybody calls me that already. So I might as well go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ron Moody noted that several members of the original West End stage cast did not get along, saying it was not a happy company. He personally had a poor relationship with Georgia Brown, who was the original Nancy. Uh, when the film came to be made, Brown blamed Moody for her not being cast as Nancy. However, Moody categorically denied this. Um, he said that he had no influence whatsoever on the casting of the film, and he himself was far from the first choice uh, to play Fagin, despite mm. the fact he'd done so well on stage. Mm. I am really glad Georgia Brown was not in the movie though because i don't know if you ever heard the original cast soundtrack it's not a great soundtrack in general i'm sorry to say but georgia brown had this very distinctive voice where she sounded like she smoked 20 packs a day um oh like that kind of kathleen turner yeah yeah she um yeah just very deep very husky and Mm. i don't know i just never was a fan of she doesn't play with the kind of the age of innocence kind of but still guilt um, that Nancy is. Yeah. Like she's meant to be this young person who should be innocent but isn't. And But if she yeah. sounds like... Yeah. It, it's mean... maybe, you know, maybe Shani uh, Wallace's casting is more of a family-friendly type choice, whereas yeah. Georgia Brown was said to be very sexy. I don't know. Yeah. yeah um, and like Nancy isn't... Um... Nancy does kidnap Oliver at one point in this. Now, <laughs> yeah. she is being coerced by her abusive partner. It's, but... it's after she's said no a few times. Though. Yeah. She's um, like, she's... She's she's in this like this world where everyone's a bit dirty and grimy. So like mm. maybe having an Nancy with that voice would have been the original intention. But I can certainly see them going, okay, we need to make this a bit more family friendly. Yeah. Let, let's make Nancy a bit more Julie Andrews. That dare I say? I mean, not completely, obviously, but you know, let's, let's make her a bit more yeah. amenable to the home audience. Well, it's funny mm. you should say that. Wasn't Julie Andrews one of the? Do you have the casting choices? We yet? have some alternate oh, casting. Okay, okay, alternate okay. casting. Okay, so. Um, 
So, as I was saying before, Ron Moody had played Fagan on stage. It was not the original choice. I just want a couple of yes or no's from you guys. Mm. Um, in the role of Fagan, some of the actors who turned it down, Peter Sellers? Yes. Mm, yeah. It uh, if I'm honest, yeah. I have not actually seen a Peter Sellers film. Wow. Yeah, well, keep, we, me, keep we, me in mind. We will get you to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got a few Pink Panther films for you to watch. Um, oh, yeah, I love Steve Martin. Yeah. <laughs> um, having having Peter Sellers and Harry Seacombe would have then meant who does Spike Milligan play from the Goons? Yeah, which the answer is Fagan. Yeah, yeah, the answer uh, for Sp- yeah. yeah. And so. you can imagine him going, "Oh, we've got to pick a pocket. Oh, it's falling into the sewage." Oh no. Um, yeah, uh, one of the other actors that was uh, turned it down, Peter O'Toole. Mm, oh, yeah, I don't know. Don't know about that. No. He, would have, he would have probably done a more serious. Yeah. yeah if you um, want, Fagan. if you want to get like an Oscar for your Fagin, yeah, you probably give it to Peter O'Toole. Uh, a potential Bill and Nancy um, pairing. The early casting rumors: Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Oh. That would have been hilarious. I think, yeah, but... <laughs> they would have actually been hitting each yeah. other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was even thinking like Richard Harris. He could have done. He yeah. could have done it. Yeah, he yeah. isn't on this list, but he's someone that certainly. Maybe could I'm have. also thinking of you. Know, have either of you ever watched the Three Penny Opera? No. No. Um, oh, okay. You, you need to put that on the list because that is the the one that has Richard Harris, Julie Walters, Raul Yulia, Bill Nye, mm. um, Roger Daltrey. It's and it is quite. It is similarly ripping this off as well. Mm. He's based off Brecht, but it's still not as Brechtian as you kind of led to believe that version. Mm. So yeah. Um, Sharni Wallace actually won the role of Nancy uh, nearly a year after first auditioning when she demonstrated an acceptable Cockney accent, which is her accent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. so. I thought when you said she won it like in a raffle. Yeah. Um, you get to play Nancy. Nancy. Hey. Well, they've done that. There's a, there was a TV series. Um, there was one called How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria. Yeah. The, the Oliver one was I, I Do, do Anything. anything. Yeah, yeah. There was a, a, like a reality TV show about working out who'd be Nancy mm. called okay. I Do yeah. Anything. Oh. And um, yeah, I mean, Shani Wallace, you know, she kind of had an interesting career in that she was actually called at one point the British Judy Garland, the British Judy Garland, I think. Okay. Like she did a lot of stage shows in Britain, which none of which I'd heard of. Hmm. Um, and basically she did a live performance on the Ed Sullivan show, which was basically her audition for this, essentially. Um, she came to the um, attention of the casting directors there. Um, and then after this, you know, she was offered the role either in she said she couldn't remember but it was either the mother in the brady bunch or the mother in the partridge family mm-hmm. and she said no i want to turn that down i want to keep doing movies i want to keep doing musicals and the trouble was as we said but you know by that time the musical as an art form was kind of dead mm, yeah. and even people like barbara streisand were having trouble finding work yeah. so mm. you so know like in somebody, retrospect would she yeah. have done differently yeah it's like someone doubling down on um vaudeville or something yeah like that. yeah exactly yeah. so she ended up doing just a lot of like live performances in vegas and stuff like that um but yeah she actually wanted to be a judge on i'd do anything and uh cameron mcintosh wouldn't let her which uh. <laughs> was really annoying to me yeah mm, yeah <laughs> um speaking of uh nancy's uh it was something you mentioned while we were watching carmen um carol reed had originally uh, Shirley Bassey in mind yeah. to play Nancy, but this mm. choice was rejected by the Hollywood studio bosses, who felt the public weren't ready for a black Nancy. Mm. Um, and apparently, they wouldn't be until 
2009 or something like that. Yeah, some, yeah. sometimes in these cases it's ready or not, here they come. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I think that needs to be more the attitude. And yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, like the more the more I've read about Carol Reed in this, the more I'm like, I think I can get behind this guy. He's he's yeah. pretty, mm. like uh, you know, with the you know, is make, it a guy called? Carol it is a guy Reed? called yeah, Carol. Carol Reed. Reed. Okay, I just assumed maybe it was like Oliver Reed's sister or something. Oliver it, Reed's Oliver uncle. Reed's uncle. Uncle, okay. and that's one of the other reasons why I quite like him uh, is because uh, <laughs> so Carol Reed um, had to be persuaded. To let Oliver Reed um, audition for the part of Bill, oh, yeah. um, he wasn't that keen on on having um, uh, his nephew. His nephew in there, the partly because of the uh, you know accusation of nepotism. I'm sure he didn't yeah. have any problems with like the performance because the performance mm. was really good. Mm. Um, but yeah, he was made to audition and screen test for the part at the insistence of Carol Reed, essentially going like, "No, nope, you have to go through it like everyone like else." Everyone else, because I'm assuming Oliver Reed never did the stage versions of Oliver. I, I think only Ron Moody did and yeah. Jack Wilde. And Jack Wilde, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. but everybody else was like brought on for this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And finally, one other potential Fagan, Dick Van Dyke. Oh my god, <laughs> that would have been. You know, there's like a there's, a there's an actual movement on YouTube, like every Dick Van Dyke video you go to, there's someone saying he should have played the Joker. And then about 100 people agreeing with that person. So mm-hmm. it, there's many parts that Dick Van Dyke would have been very interesting yeah. in. Fagan would have been one of them, the Joker. Mm. Um, yeah, well, I don't as know. As a kid, the only, because I'd never watched, we were talking about this earlier, but I'd never watched Mary Poppins yeah. until I started dating Carmen. Um, the only thing I knew Dick Van Dyke from was Diagnosis Murder. It's <laughs> <laughs> the the show that he did with his son. Yes, yeah. he's, yeah. he's the doctor, and the son's a cop or something, yeah. and they they solve crime. Mm. It's still showy on ABC on Australian television. Mm. Really? Um, yeah. No, I was. Where was I? I was watching some something. I, on I saw it recently. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's still showing at like two p.m. or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a good show. Which is where I saw it. And yeah. Like, you know, it was in reruns even then. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, he's he's such a versatile actor. I mean, you look at the two roles he did in Mary Poppins, and mm. if you don't know that they're the same person, you don't know. You don't yeah. know. Like, mm. I, who I knew think... he played Mary and the Jimmy Smith? <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. Um. So yeah, whilst I he would not be my first casting choice for Fagin, but. Mm. I'd see pay $8 put... to see it. I can tell you that, yeah. yeah. But I think it's also um, like that level of we need to, going back to the superhero thing, we need to do what works. Yeah. And things like Dick Van Dyke clearly works. So yeah. maybe you'd want to yeah. throw more of that I mean, in. except his accent. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's that big thing with Mary Poppins looking yeah. on it, particularly <laughs> retrospectively. It is got, horrible. Yeah, yeah. It, is, yeah. It, is, it is not great at all. No. Um, and I'm... I am quite glad that they decided to go with Ron Moody simply because he had so much experience in playing yeah. the role. Yeah, he is, he is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and he, mm. yeah, it's, he does a really good job. Um, I think it's time to score the film, guys. I think okay. it is. So, uh, Jason, you get to go first. I do. Your first time watching Oliver. What would you give it out of ten? I'm going to maybe be a little harsh, actually, if okay. I'm honest. Okay. I'm probably only going to give it. Oh, I was. I've been leaning towards six, mm-hmm. but maybe this reflection has kind of increased it. So I'm going to go six and a half uh, members of the dancing, singing police constabulary. Yeah, um, <laughs> that kind of come along every now and then and don't actually do any policing. Mm. 
They were great. They were. <laughs> yeah. We, we had a lot of fun talking about that. Like, the dancing policeman. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, all you need to do to commit a crime is be singing about it at the same time, and the police won't stop you. As soon as you do a crime when you're not singing, they're all the hell on you. Yeah. And shooting you as you hang out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is why, like, you know, Fagin probably knows this, and he's like trying to explain, all right, this is how you pickpocket time for the song so they can't listen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Carmen, what would you give Oliver out of 10? Um. Purely because there were some shots at the beginning that were out of focus. Um, oh, and yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of grated on my nerves a bit. So seven mashed potato snowballs out of ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, we were watching this on a, on a very nice new television yeah. that uh, Jess and Carmen have here. Um, so 75-inch 4K is probably not the best way to watch a 40-year-old film. Yeah, well, 50 in this 50, case. So, yeah. Yes. It's, um, yeah, it's... You know, it still looks good in terms of, like, mm. from a big musical number sense. Uh, but you, there are those moments where you go... Okay, that could have looked better. Yeah, Even yeah. the last shot where they're um, dancing away into the sunset. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a little while to go, oh, that's the sun. I thought it was just <laughs> a bad light that accidentally had there. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, it's fun. And I, mm. I think it retains a lot of the, the stage show experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it feels a lot like a play. And I think that's to its advantage. Mm. Um, but at the same time, still using the ability to kind of flick around. Yeah. Like sometimes it always feels a little lazy when you just shove a camera in front of it and then just kind of let it go without really using yeah. and, and, the third and dimension. There were some really good use of the camera um, as well as the, the slight mistakes. When Nancy is um, has finished her song after getting hit by Bill and she's in the, the, the weird like... Um, like sewage oh, overpass city, sludge street yeah and she's as, as she's finishing the song and walking off um the camera almost like hides behind a set of stairs as though it's from the perspective of somebody watching yeah. it's yeah. a very subtle almost documentary style yeah it's a very subtle movement but it's a really interesting choice making it look as it made me feel as though that we were really prying on a very introspective moment where she's she's just been hit by 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 her partner by someone that she loves and she's trying to reconcile that with the fact that he must still love me mm. and also being conflicted about Oliver as well and I just thought that ca- that use of the camera was quite good and I think this film is full of clever bits like that but is also slightly let down by by other areas and um, mm. for me it's enjoyable um it's it's definitely worth a watch but it's not like it, it it's not an outstanding film no, um, it's, so, it's not the the best musical. Yeah, so it's a, it's a summary of thirty years of film. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. I mean, for me, it's seven um, very camp gunshots from the the guy they broke into the house <laughs> of, and he just bang. bang. <laughs> yeah, it's seven very camp gunshots out of ten. Um, and it was it was really enjoyable. Uh, Jason Carmen, thank you very much for reviewing Oliver. Thank Thanks you. for having us on. All right, and for those of you who are at home, uh, perhaps you would like to consider yourself uh, liking our Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Consider yourself part of the family. Indeed. Uh, Who will buy a Patreon scholarship? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That could be you. You could uh, help uh, fund future episodes of the podcast by going to www.patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. Uh, and if you would like to pick a podcast or two to yeah. listen to from our back catalogue, just find us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club there. But that's all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> and now as promised... 
a preview clip from episode one of the science fiction radio play series, Atlantis. Floor 34, Ponderlatz Laboratory. Visitors are reminded that Atlantis labs are not responsible for any injuries sustained of a physical, mental, or spiritual nature during your visit. Well, that's comforting. Hello? Nothing to worry about, Dorothy. A quiet corridor doesn't mean these crazy scientists opened up a, a portal to some godforsaken place and unleashed who knows what on the base. They're probably all studying. Yeah, studying. That's what scientists do. They're just professional nerds. Nerds with qualifications. There's nothing at all down here. Pardon this intrusion. <laughs> You appear to have discharged your firearm into my face. That wasn't very nice. (laughs) So you have to run. There's a monster of some kind in the corridor. We have to evacuate. Oh no, don't tell me the doc didn't lock the cage properly. What? I keep telling her that she needs to push against the door when she closes that latch. Sir, we have to leave now. What did it look like? Blue and furry? Or turquoise and wavy? Uh, It was orange and bulgy. Orange and bulgy? It's coming. Get to the evacuation chutes and warn Chief Castain we have an unknown creature on the loose. Wait. Don't mean lug, do you? Lug. Senior technician, this person just shot me in the face and then ran away. I am confused as to their intentions. Is this your monster? Yes. What is it? It's okay. They're friendly. Well, normally anyway. I've never shot Lug in the face before. If you enjoyed the clip from episode one of Atlantis that you have just heard, you can hear the entire thing over at www.atlantisradioplay.com. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.